Turn to Luke chapter 2 in your Bibles this morning. As our young people, 6th grade and down, are being dismissed for Children's Church in the Fellowship Hall with Mr. and Mrs. Pirro. Luke chapter 2. I will sing forever of my King. What a great reminder to us this morning. And uh, they sound happy, don't they? Going. And I'll just go ahead and tell you this evening, in addition to Brother Hay preaching for us, that uh, we've asked, I've asked Ryan Eshelman to sing Ship Ahoy again. And uh, so Ryan, as an uh, eight-year veteran of the United States Navy, a sailor, will be singing that song for us tonight. And so you'll be looking forward to that in addition to uh, Brother Hay's message. Luke chapter 2 and... Verse number 8, we'll read down to verse number 19 for text this morning. After Judson chose all the songs on heaven, I was sitting there wondering, should I have preached a message on heaven? Uh, you never get tired of hearing a message about heaven, do you? Uh, I don't, but uh, as we anticipate the new year, and uh, we still are lingering in the afterglow of Christmas, I want us to uh, consider uh, some thoughts this morning from the scriptures it relates to in the new year ahead of us as it relates to biblical thinking. And especially as you'll see verse number 19 when we get there, I have titled the message Deep Thinking and uh, you'll see why. Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 8, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, and I love this, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And remember, these were lowly shepherds. These were men who were the bottom of the totem pole when it came to uh, the religious pecking order of first century Judaism, considered ceremonially unclean, not even able to go to the temple in and of themselves without going through an arduous process of cleaning up, uh, and yet so necessary to the sacrificial system of Judaism. And yet uh, the angels uh, say to them that this Savior is for you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ came for everyone. Okay. And notice verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And then here's our text verse. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Can I say Mary did some deep thinking about all these things? And in so doing, she becomes a pattern for us and the importance of deep thinking in our own lives 
Let me just say this right here at the outset. The most important practice for any of, the, of, any of us, whether you have trusted Christ as Savior or you're not sure of your relationship with Christ, the most important thing for any of us is the daily disciplined deep thinking of Jesus Christ, making Him the focus of your thinking. Let's pray. Father, help us as we look into your word this morning, as we consider the example of Mary and seek to make it a pattern in our own lives, as we think about the importance of right thinking, deep thinking, and how that affects everything else in life, our perspective, our worldview, how we weather difficult times, and so many other aspects. So, Lord, help this morning, I pray, that we would all understand at a fresh and a new level the importance of thinking biblically. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As I think about and mention deep thinking, I'm not talking about quick thinking. How many of you know someone who's just good on their feet, quick on their feet when it comes to thinking? I'm not thinking about quick thinking. I'm not very good at that necessarily. I read a story recently of a widow lady who asked a young man uh, to guess her age. I heard several of you ladies snicker at that one. And she insisted and he could tell she was serious, and he knew that that was uh, a very uh, tenuous, uh, risky endeavor. And so this is how he answered, quick on his feet. He said, ma'am, he said, as beautiful as you are, if I guessed 10 years younger, that would be the wise choice than you actually are. He said, but as wise as you are, I would probably guess 10 years older than you actually are. Smart young man. When I talk about deep thinking, though, I'm not talking about that thing. I'm not talking about difficult or academic thinking. I love what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said, I beseech you in the simplicity of Christ, the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Aren't you glad Jesus is simple? Okay. So we're not talking about difficult academic thinking. I've heard about guys that that it was said of them uh, in their theological writing that they went in deep and came up dry. (laughs) And uh, how many of you have heard somebody like that before? And I definitely don't want to be that this morning. When I talk about deep thinking, I'm not talking about novel thinking or some new truth, so to speak, that nobody's ever thought of or some clever way of looking at things. I will remind us that if you ever hear the term new truth... One of two things, either it's not new or it's not truth, because truth is as ancient as the Lord himself. A man by the name of James Denny, a Scottish theologian, said this years ago, we cannot at the same time try to show people how clever we are and how wonderful Jesus is. You can't do both at the same time. We're not talking about platitudes or the theoretical, but we're talking about Consistent, daily, disciplined thinking about the person of Christ and who he is. Because in so doing, it will provide us stability and peace like no other basis for thinking will. To keep the things of Christ and to ponder them in our heart. The author of Hebrews does something of this and leads and directs us to do something of this in Hebrews chapter number 2 and verse number 9. He said, but we see Jesus. When you're considering the alternatives that people pursue for how they can be saved, he points the attention of his readers to Jesus Christ. But we see, and it's the idea of putting your eyes on, put your eyes on Jesus. Just look at Jesus. 
But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He was made man, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus in a nutshell. You and I could not save ourselves. The penalty for our sin is death, eternal separation from God. But Jesus, who was God of very gods, the second person of the Trinity, was made a little lower than the angels, put upon himself a robe of human sinless flesh, and lived as our perfect lamb, dying on the cross. The Bible says he tasted death. And it's the idea of fully tasting, not just sipping, but fully tasting, experiencing death for us. In our place, our substitute. That's the gospel. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, I'm going to tell you right here at the outset, you're a sinner. All of us are sinners. That sin separates you from God, but God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago to die for you. To die as your sin-bearing substitute in your place, to pay a sin debt that you could not pay so that you could avoid the penalty of eternal separation from God. And by a simple act of faith, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can become God's child today and be brought into the family. That is a 2,000-year-old invitation that still stands, and it's as good as it was the day it was first offered. We see Jesus, but he moves on in chapter number 3, the author of Hebrews does, and he says that we need to consider him who is the apostle and the high priest of our salvation. The apostle, the one sent from God to redeem man, to reconcile man back to God, and our high priest, the one who represents us to God. We need to consider him. And it's the idea of taking that knowledge down off the shelf and literally looking it over in detail, learning Christ, knowing Christ. In chapter number 13, 12, pardon me, the author of Hebrews would say this, we need to be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So this focus, this thought process that is consumed, taken up completely with Christ, get it, Mary shows us the pattern of how to do that. And it's recorded of her that right after the birth of Christ, as the shepherds have come from the fields to obey the angels and to see the newborn Christ child, all of these things coming together, the Bible tells us that Mary kept all these things and she pondered them in her heart. The importance of thinking, biblical thinking, and our thinking focused on Christ. I've told the story before of a dying father who was a faithful Christian, but he was heavy-hearted because he had a wayward son, and on his deathbed he asked for his wayward son to come to his bedside, and he looked at his son, and through bated breath he said to his son, he goes, listen, would you just do me one favor, promise me before I die that after I'm gone, you'll just take 15 minutes a day and think about your soul and think about Jesus Christ. And the son promised his father on his deathbed that he would. And as the story goes, soon after the father passed away, it was not but several months and that son had come to faith in Christ, all because of keeping a promise of 15 minutes a day of disciplined thinking on his own eternal soul and on Jesus Christ. I found something fascinating before we get into the body of the message in regards to Christmas carols. Now, we didn't sing one this morning. I hope that is not a major offense to anybody. Do you know that there were periods in the medieval era, 
okay, the 10th to the 15th century, and then the Reformation era, the 16th and 17th centuries, when there were parts of Europe where Christmas was outlawed by certain governments. Because the celebration of Christmas was such a drunken, debauched mess that good people could not even feel safe going out of their homes at Christmas time. Because the celebration of Christmas and the reason for Christmas had been so detached that it was nothing more than a drunken brawl in certain parts of Europe. And so one of the solutions, get this, was the Christmas carol. Because it took music as a popular medium and put it together with the message of Christ, the reason for the season, and through music, people were reminded the purpose of Christmas. And if you would, they didn't have to outlaw Christmas anymore. Christmas caroling. We had somebody Christmas carol come to our house. The Lucheks came Christmas Eve. I don't remember what time it was, but I was already in my pajamas. Knock on the door and everybody starts saying, who's at the door? Who's at the door? And we go to the door. And you remember how cold it was Christmas Eve. And there were the, the whole Luchek clan, stocking caps on, gloves. They all walked in like the Michelin man, you know. Came in and sang several Christmas songs for us. Do you know that one of the original purposes of Christmas caroling was at Christmas time in those dark, spiritually dark contexts to with music take the message of Christ to the world around to get Jesus into people's thinking at Christmas time? Okay. And look at the outcome of that. So I want to approach this passage. We think about the importance of biblical thinking. Next little bit before we close the service, I want to briefly ask three questions of this passage. The simple verse here, Mary kept all these things, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The first question is this, what does it mean to keep and to ponder in the heart? So that I can know whether or not I'm doing that. What does it mean to keep and to ponder in the heart? And especially as it relates to the truths of Christ, the person of Christ. The word keep is a word that means to protect and to treasure. And the word that is used here speaks of an ongoing action in Mary's life. In other words, she was continually keeping, protecting and treasuring. And the idea is also here of every part or piece of information. Every new piece of information that she would get. Okay, we'll talk about those in just a moment. She kept all of it. She protected it. She didn't allow it to get away. How easily our minds are distracted. I read of a preacher years ago who said he needed the regular filling of God in his life because he leaked so much. How many of you admit it's easy to leak in this old world? And we need a constant inflow of right thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But keeping is the idea of protecting, of treasuring Last week we were cleaning the garage and I was up in the attic and I went to grab a hold of a box. I was moving some things around and I went to grab a hold of a box to move it and it didn't come. About threw my back out. And then I looked at what was written on the top of the box and it said Judson's Rock Collection. When Judson was a little boy out of Mahogany Wood, we built him a special box to begin his rock collection. It won't hold the rock collection now. Now it's gotten so big that he has to use the attic, and I think he has some down in his room too. He's got some amazing rocks, and I do not think he has ever left a rock behind. 
There are some pretty ones in there. There's some fascinating, some rare ones, some unique ones. And let me tell you this. Keeping these things about Christ in our hearts means don't let anything get by. Keep it. Protect it. Don't let it leak out. Focus your thinking on Christ. So what does it mean to keep and to ponder? First of all, the word keep is the idea of protecting and treasuring every part. But then the word ponder that is used here of Mary's thinking is the idea of putting all the pieces together. It literally means to lay the pieces together. In other words, not to just keep them in some kind of cattywampus pickup stick stack, but it is the idea of putting the pieces together to see how all of these individual pieces of information that she was hearing and receiving and experiencing herself about Christ, how they all fit together. And so in other words, not just prizing the information about Christ, but putting it all together and finding the purpose for Christ and his purpose for my life. Jesus himself would tell the story of a man who found a treasure in a field. And when he found a treasure in a field, what did he do? He went and he sold everything that he had to buy that field because of the treasure that was in that field. The challenge to you and to me is to use everything that we have to keep the knowledge of Christ and to put all the pieces together to make him the central focus of our thinking. Notice how verse number 19 begins. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. That's a contrast. A contrast to what? Notice verse number 18. And all they that heard it, heard it. What is the it? The, the report of the shepherds wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary, on the other hand, is a contrast to those who just wondered. The word wondered is the idea of people who hear it, they're initially fascinated by it, but then they go on with life. And how true it is, even as we look at the Christmas story, here are the chief priests and scribes that knew by Micah's prophecy the very city where Jesus would be born, and yet none of them made the effort to go. Here are these people in Bethlehem who the shepherds come to him and say, Listen, unto us has been born tonight in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the angels just appeared to us out in the fields and gave us the record of it, the account of it. God is at work. And most people are like, Oh, that's interesting. That's fascinating. But Mary, but Mary, but Mary kept. She, she protected and treasured all these things, and she put the pieces together in her heart. So, number one, the first question, what does it mean to keep and to ponder in the heart is a pattern for you and for me. But I want you to notice the second question that we can ask of this passage, verse number 19, and that is this, what are all these things? But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. What are the th these things? Just a, a general glance at the Christmas story, the first couple of chapters of Matthew and the first couple of chapters of Luke give us a representative list of the things that Mary would have pondered and kept in her heart. Think about it, the revelation of the angelic messengers. Now, just at the outset, somebody might say, well, pastor, angels don't appear to us anymore. Let me just say this. There's a day coming in the future. The book of Revelation indicates when angels will appear again. 
Angels often appeared in the scripture when there was a, a large giving of some major portion of scripture. Look at the Old Testament. And let me remind you of this, though. The author of Hebrews said in relation to angels appearing to give God's re- re- revelation, listen, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, then what is your accountability in mine who have a complete Bible and who have seen the revelation of Jesus Christ? Okay. But Mary had the account of four different angelic appearances to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who the angel told Zechariah that his son was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Mary had had the angel Gabriel appear to herself as well and told her that it was the son of the highest that would be conceived in her womb and that God would give him to the throne of his father David. He would reign over the house of Jacob forever. His name was to be Jesus and he would be the savior. It was all an angelic message that she had received that told her that. When Joseph found out she was expecting, at first, remember, he was minded to put her away. And what did God have to do? God sent an angel, and an angel told Joseph, Listen, fear not to take unto thee Mary thine espoused wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And so that's a third angelic appearance. Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph, in order to get Joseph on track and to realize this was the work of God. And then the appearance of the angel and angels to the shepherds. Here sits Mary in the manger, just or in the in the stable, just having given birth to baby Jesus. And can you imagine how awkward it was for these are these shepherds to just come walking in and observe the Christ child, and then to tell her that a bunch of angels had just appeared to him out in the field. Bible says Mary took these things, the revelation of angelic messengers, the resolve of Joseph, the change that came over Joseph had to have impacted her. A man who had thought about putting her away, but then once the angel appeared to him, Joseph would basically put on hold the next two to three years of his life, leading Mary and baby Jesus down to Bethlehem where Jesus would be born, down to Egypt to flee from Herod, back from Egypt up to Nazareth. The resolve of Joseph. What a testimony it would have been to her. And then these other things that she would have kept in her heart and pondered was the rejoicing of Elizabeth when she went to visit Elizabeth. And Mary greeted Elizabeth and the Bible says that the babe in Elizabeth's womb, baby John the Baptist, leapt in her womb for joy. That doesn't just happen. I've wondered about how she knew it was for joy. She did. Gracie felt the little one flutter in her womb for the first time the other night. She goes, oh, just like that. I wonder how Elizabeth knew. But here were supernatural happenings. And then Elizabeth, when the babe leapt in her womb, then she began to praise God. And then that moved Mary to praise God. The angels would be praising God. The shepherds would be rejoicing and praising God. Have you ever noticed how rejoicing is contagious? Let me tell you something. Don't ever despise someone else praising God. And, And we better be growing in our praise to the Lord as well. 
But here's Mary, all of this new information as she's realizing people are recognizing this baby as the Messiah and me as its mother. And they're rejoicing and they're praising and these angels are appearing in the heaven. She's putting all these pieces together. Another one of the all these things that she would have kept in her heart and pondered was the response of the shepherds who at lambing time, when normally they would have stayed close to the sheep and not left the fields, but in the command of the angels, the Bible said they came into Bethlehem with haste. And she sees the transformation of these shepherds, men who risked censure by coming into Bethlehem because of their being unclean. And yet they're waking up the town in the middle of the night telling them the Messiah's been born, the Messiah's been born. How that must have affected Mary's thinking. The reliability of prophecy in Scripture would have been another thing. Multiple times in the messages that the angels gave, they noted how prophecy was being fulfilled. The angel told Joseph that what is happening in Mary is fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. It was the fulfillment of prophecy that he would be born in Bethlehem. It was the fulfillment of prophecy that they would go to Egypt. It was the fulfillment of prophecy that they would come back and live in Nazareth. And one thing after another, Mary begins to see one prophecy after another being fulfilled. And she begins to keep these things and to ponder them in her heart. She sees that this is God reaching out and down after 400 years of silence from the voice of prophecy. Now, prophecy is resuming. God speaking to his people again is resuming. God is reaching out to his people. He is stepping down. And what is one of the most beloved names of Jesus? His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. So that Phillips Brooks, the songwriter, would say of the little town of Bethlehem, Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. All of these prophecies, all of these things coming together, and Mary is keeping them and pondering them. And yet, here's the clincher. I want you to get this. All of these things, the the revelation of the angelic messengers, the resolve of Joseph, the rejoicing that she witnesses, the response of the shepherds, the reliability of the prophecy quoted to her, the reaching out of God, all of these things point to Jesus Christ. That little baby in the womb who was born to die on Calvary, they all pointed to, they all led to the person of Christ The fact that he was the seed of woman who would crush the serpent's head. The fact that he was the bright in the morning star, that bright morning star that appeared just before night became day to indicate that the morning is coming. That one who was the son of righteousness, who was rising with healing in his wings, the one who would provide healing for a sin-sick world. Everything was pointing to the one Christ who was the Lamb of God, who would be the sin-bearing substitute of the whole world. Pointing to the one who was born as a man, perfect and yet empathetic. What a combination. Have you ever met someone that seemed perfect and not very empathetic? But here, 
the one who is perfect, the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet the priest who's been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. The one who knows our need. He's the one who is the savior of the world, the one who would bring peace, the great physician who would heal not just from spiritual but also physical sickness. He's the friend and the friend of sinners No one ever cared for me like Jesus and what a friend he is. The author of Hebrews would refer to him as the captain of our salvation, the one who blazed the trail, the one who went in first, the one who conquered the enemy of sin and the devil. He's our great high priest who intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. The author of Hebrews would also call him our brother. That means you and I are in the family if we've trusted Christ as Savior. The Gospel of John would record he's the bread, he is the light, he's the door into the sheepfold of God, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords, and as one preacher said years ago, he's the president of the presidents. You can't impeach him, and he ain't going to resign. Jesus, the culmination of all of these things that Mary kept and pondered in her heart, The songwriter said it this way years ago, Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills my breast. But sweeter far thy face to see and in thy presence rest. Peter said, whom having not seen ye love. But I'm glad to tell you, if you know him as Savior, there's a day coming you will see him face to face. Verse number two, no voice can sing, no heart can frame, nor can the memory find a sweeter sound than thy blessed name, O Savior of mankind. O hope of every contrite heart, O joy of all the meek, to those who fall, how kind thou art. Can can I say that again? To those who fall, how kind Thou art. Nobody loves and forgives like Jesus loves and forgives. How good to those who seek. Verse number four. But what to those who find? Ah, this nor tongue nor pen can show. The love of Jesus, what it is. None but his loved ones know. I still wrestle with John 17 when Jesus in his high priestly prayer says to the Father, Lord, in bringing them into the family, I'm glad that you're going to love them with the same love you have for me. Have you ever just thought on that one for a while? That Jesus said in John 17 that God the Father loves you and me with the same kind of love that he loves Jesus. Verse number five, Jesus, our only joy be thou, as thou our prize wilt be. Jesus, be thou our glory now and through eternity. Deep thinking. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. What does it mean to keep and ponder in the heart? It means to protect and treasure. It means to put the pieces together. What are all these things? And we've considered this list here of things that all culminate in pointing us to Jesus. 
Just keep your eyes on Jesus. But number three, and finally, why is keeping and pondering in the heart so important? Well, at the outset, I would say this. Proverbs chapter 4 tells us why it's so important to keep and ponder the things of Christ in our heart. Because if we keep our heart out of it, the Bible says, are the issues of life. Everything that we are flows out of our heart. That center of all that we are. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 34, Jesus said that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaketh. And in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 17, the apostle Paul said to the believers at the church at Ephesus that one of his greatest longings for those believers was that Christ would dwell in their heart by faith, that Christ would be at home in their heart. That he'd be comfortable there. Why is it so important? that we keep and ponder the things of Christ in our heart because the heart is the center of all that we do. There is personal benefit that comes to you and to me. And I'm not talking about being mercenary, but personal benefit that comes to you and to me when we keep the things of Christ and ponder them in our heart and make Him the centrality of our focus. The Scripture says that those that keep their mind on the Lord, that they will have perfect peace. You want peace? Keep and ponder the things of Christ in your heart. Because he's the prince of peace. Those that will have purity in their life and their obedience and purity from sin. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 3 through 5. We're to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we're to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, if it's not pleasing to Christ, it will only cause me hurt and destruction. Get it out of my thinking. But when Christ fills my thinking, there is purity that results. My practice is motivated. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely, think on these things. If there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. And those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, what did Paul say? Do. And so my practice will be helped as I keep and ponder the things of Christ. I'll have peace in my heart. There will be purity of life and my praise will be motivated. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 15. The Bible refers to praise as the fruit of the lips. You and I are going to be praising something. The bottom line is, is we're going to be praising something. The Bible says that what we praise is the fruit of what's in our heart. And if Christ is central in our hearts, then it will be praise that will come out, praise to Christ. Why is keeping and pondering in the heart so important? Because of the importance of the heart and the personal benefit that comes. But then also this, before we move to a conclusion. And that is... It is important, it's vital for me to keep and to ponder the things of Christ in my heart because of the necessity, the importance of passing him on to the next generation. Mary is thought by many Bible scholars to have been one of the primary resources that the man Luke used in the writing of his gospel. And I think about young Mary keeping and pondering these things in her heart, protecting them, not letting anything get away, and then putting all the pieces together, and how vital that would be Decades later, when Dr. Luke would come to interview her to write 
his gospel. And how important is the gospel of Luke to our understanding of Christ? And so Mary, in keeping and pondering the things of Christ in her heart, helped to establish that she would have a profound impact in generations to come. And here you and I are 2,000 years later, still moved by the testimony of Mary. Deep thinking. What does it mean to keep and to ponder in the heart? What are all these things? Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, and he keeps me singing as I go. I'm ashamed sometimes, and this is just a personal testimony. As I read more and more of the scripture and then read good books about Jesus, I'm ashamed sometimes about how little I actually know about Christ. And yet, you know, there's this bitter sweetness to it because the bitter sweetness is, is because even though I'm sometimes convicted by how little I could know in comparison, all that there is to know, I'm convicted, but also it is such a moving thing as I find out yet another truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's meek and lowly of heart. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so many of these wonderful truths that stir our heart. What does it mean to keep and to ponder in the heart? What are the, all these things, the things of Christ? And then why is keeping and pondering in the heart so important? Well, there are wonderful personal benefits. But I will also say to us as a church, and I mentioned this in our Sunday school hour and then I'll conclude. We have a wonderful history as a church. It's been thrilling for me to go back and review the last 12 years since God allowed us to start the church. The answers to prayer, the provision of God, the things that God has done, lives that we've seen transformed, missionaries that we get to support. But I don't want to be content with the past. I want us to be thinking about the future and getting to know Jesus better in the future and introduce him to others better for the future. The best days need to be ahead for this church. And it will be so to the degree that we keep the things of Christ and ponder them in our hearts. As we keep him as our focus, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Every time I'm reminded of Colonel Rick Husband, the commander of the Space Shuttle Columbia, that disintegrated on re-entry in February of 2003 over Texas, I'm reminded of his testimony as a believer. Pre-recorded family devotions for his wife and two young children before he went on that space trip. So that every day they had family devotions he had pre-recorded on a video. As part of an astronaut's process for going to space, of course, they leave last words behind to those that are dear to them. And he left fitting last words to his wife, who we now know would become his widow, and to his children and to others. But as a pastor, I think the one that stirs me the most is the final note that he left, that Rick Husband left to his pastor. And I can't imagine what it was for that pastor the day he opened an envelope that he never expected to have to open. But as he opened that envelope and out, he pulled that note from Rick Husband, who was 
now in eternity. And the note said simply this, Pastor, keep telling them about Jesus. He is real to me. Keep telling them about Jesus. He is real to me. You know what I thought about? When that pastor opened that envelope and read that note from Rick Husband, Rick Husband was more alive than he had ever been before. Rick Husband was in the presence of the Jesus that was real to him. Keep telling them about Jesus. He is real to me. Keep all these things and ponder them in your heart. Deep thinking. May God help us this year to be a people who fix our thoughts on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King, Master of everything. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages, almighty God is he. Bow down before him, love and adore him. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. Father, today we thank you for Jesus. And I pray that he would more and more fill our thinking. That we would keep the things of him and ponder them in our heart. Putting new things together with things we've known for a long time. And in so doing, I think of what the Apostle Paul said. That when we with open face beholding is in a glass. And your word, the glory of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ will be changed into the same image. From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, Father, as we conclude this service today, I pray that we would leave with a renewed love for Jesus Christ and a renewed desire and passion to know Him, to learn Him, to think on Him, to consider Him, and to look forward to one day seeing Him face to face. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.